Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's a post-PRGE CU podcast. Post Pat having a good voice as well for Tuesday, October twenty second, two thousand nineteen. Alongside Ian Ferguson, hello, howdy. I'm on its deathbed, Pat Contry. We're talking about a new Star Wars trailer. Analog Pocket announced Internet Archive adding DOS games, IGN top one hundred list. It's a doozy, uh, and more in your Q and A. Ian, wondrous time. At PRGE this year, yes, it's 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 the it's the heartbeat of the retro gaming scene. We always say, correct? <laughs> yes, and the, heart, the heartbeat of America. It's it's true. Um, it's a good place to go and kind of get a, an idea as to what's going on in the collecting scene, and also just in terms of what's you know popular at any given moment when it comes to you know who's playing what with retro games. Um, it's always interesting to see you know how many people are at the arcades or how many people take interest in the pinball or say the the living room setups and you know what what more or less seems to be uh, on the tables in um, large amounts in the well, vendor area. Yeah, what are the vendors, are, what are they paddling, what people are interested in, what's the demographics at the event, Right. you know, things like that. Um, what's the focus? They had the, they had the uh, 30 year anniversary uh, Game Boy Museum, yep. along with some Genesis That's games this. from John Hancock, but Frank Kelsey did a great job setting up the museum. Uh, there, They also had the Counselor's Corner. Yes, Nintendo, that was great. Was, was fantastic. And that was Archon 1981 that brought a lot of the, that stuff that, that the workers uh, used to have. Yeah, I remember talking to him briefly during Comic-Con when Frank was down here and he was detailing. You know, That's the first in, time I met him. Detailing, going and getting all that stuff. I, I, I briefly spoke to him uh, during Comic-Con. But uh, yeah, it was very cool to see that all come together. And, and Howard Phillips showed up as well. Again, yes. and Howard Phillips is, uh, thankfully, he's going to get more involved with the uh, video game history foundation yeah he seems excited to you know be back doing that sort of stuff so the old the great. elder statesman we need for, yeah. for this because there's not many of those there's not many of the old guard out there actively helping you know like tell the stories and get the documents and there's something there a little fuzzy yeah a little fuzz, tissue. you got it a little tissue you fuzz on my, on my see that's how sick i am i have time to even shave a little linty a little, a little, linty. little linty on my so there, there's a lot of um there was a lot of that uh fun stuff with that happening um in terms of uh the auction i did not go there was an NWC labelist uh, that was there, and there was an eighteen thousand reserve. I heard, but didn't get close to that, so it didn't sell. There was one thing I would have bid on. Um, there was a uh, big box eighties uh, and nineties PC lot that went for really cheap. I heard it went for eight hundred dollars, and that included the first four Ultima games, which alone are worth over eight hundred dollars. They even had that first Gabriel Knight with that weird oblong trapezoidal shaped box in the top and bottom, which mm-hmm. Metal Jesus said is really hard to find. So for eight hundred dollars, I would have bid more than that. I would have sure. I would have been way more than that, and there was I'm not even counting probably like there were 20 games. Touching back to the uh, NWC real quick, I heard <laughs> that I think so it had an 18,000 reserve. Yeah. Uh, it what's that? It was a Ricola. Uh, it oh, went up to I believe 16.2 or something like that. 
Even that's getting there. That's right. It, yeah. And uh, it didn't go. And I believe I, what I heard was the guy actually said, okay, 17 right now. And there were no buyers. So even at 16, two people were like, that's a little bit much. Right. Um, and I was discussing it. What was I discussing it with in the lobby? Uh, I don't want to I think it was like John Riggs or, or, or um, Jason. Um, but we were, we were sitting around kind of talking about it. And I think, with the with the auction, you can take something that normally goes for like a lower price. Let's say you have item X, and normally item X would go for about two hundred bucks. Sure, you could take it to an auction, especially an auction like PRGE, where it's known to get exciting and things are kind of unpredictable. And you could expect that, yeah, you could reasonably maybe at, in the right moment get that two hundred dollar item up to like five or six. Sure. But when you're dealing with something as expensive as an NWC. I think some of that excitement, it's already baked into the idea that it's you're bidding on an NWC. I don't yeah. think you're actually going to get much more than the market price for it because yeah. it's, it's an expensive. There's, there's, there's a lot less, less buyers versus something that's even a thousand dollars. At yeah. this, yeah, at this point, it's it's an expensive enough off item where I think the people who are even going to spend that much on it aren't looking to spend a whole lot more. Sure, they're not going to get caught up in it. They're going to go, wait a second, you know, if I just hold back, I can get a maybe one with a nicer label for you know this price or a little bit less than this, you know, when it pops up next online. Sure. Um, and then in terms of the demographics of the people there. There was definitely, a, a, I would say, a near seismic shift. And it was just me saying that it was other people, other vendors, in terms of what people were looking for. And I know in the past year we kind of talked about, well, it was surprising to see Earthbound still for sale one, one year, you said, at the end of the day. Um, this was the year, if you had to say 2019, was the shift forward in terms of like the generational shift of, of collectors in terms of what they're look, looking for, by and large. Um, it used to be, you know, Genesis and NES and Super Nintendo and even and it was even a lot more even classic computer stuff I would say than this year and this year you look on the tables and you see Amaray cases and you see DVD style cases everywhere you see uh, you know tons of Wii games and PS2 games and PS3 games you know in 360 and Xbox and like you know post 2000 games we'll just say like 2000 and that's what a lot of it was this year yeah it was um the I would say you know some of the booths that you, that have been there forever that used to come and half their you know mega booths were uh, NES cartridges. cartridges. Uh, I mean, Not anymore. Ba- barely any to be seen. Um, I think for the first time in a long time, I saw more like, well, no, such I, I, I saw some stuff, older stuff. Like I saw more Game Boy this year than I, I had. Not a lot of it good, but I saw lots well, of Game Boy. You're on the lookout for that, so you're um, a, spot. a lot more of it, but. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I always say retro is whoever's got the money, whoever, whoever in adulthood has got the money and is rebuying their childhood. That's what's retro. And right now we, I mean, I really did see mostly PlayStation one, um, and 64 on up lots and lots of PS2, lots and lots of Wii. My eye just um, caught the tons of cases because it just seen those cases Yeah, because they all blend together in your eye. All the white cases, so, all the. Those whatever bluish black PS3 cases, all the PS2 cases. That's what I noticed. So to me, it it, it doesn't necessarily. Uh, it, it's not a bad thing. I mean, Portland was just as fun as it always is, if not better. The the show is continuously every year that show um, gets run. It seems better, and I know a lot of people were nervous about. Like I, a lot of the people I talked to were nervous because. Um, 
you know, they're always nervous about the show they're putting on. But from where I sit, everything was was very good as sure. as, as, as as it always is. Um, I did notice though that there was a lot of um, like the hair to there's the hair to auction folks and the go collect. Oh, before we get to that, real quick, okay. I will the follow up on the Nintendo stuff. Um, in terms of the volume I saw, it was more limited in terms of games I saw. Correct. They're, gone are the the days where. Uh, at least at this event, there was not many sellers. I don't notice any of that. Like sometimes there'd be a seller that have almost like a vast majority of the NES library in cart form for sale. Yes, you go see like one vendor would have like six hundred NES games, correct? Yeah, like, they'd have like them just lined up. And um, I went to one vendor, uh, I believe it was Double Jump, um, and they had their little you know top glass display of like you know two hundred plus NES games, like like you know your, your bubble bobble twos, your, you know your, things like that. And I straight up asked him on Sunday, how are these doing? He said, they're not moving. You know, they're just not. And, and they haven't. And I'm just like, well, it's something we talked about where, you know, not only did prices peak a few years ago, but the interest has peaked because it was a combination of people already, ha- a majority of people, like I said, the collectors already have what they want. Mm-hmm. They've had 10 years to get it, or even you want to say five, six years to acquire it. And then combine that with the numbers getting pumped up to an extreme where if you have a moderate interest, now yeah, wait. I'll need to spend $350 or $400 on Power Blade 2 or whatever. That even costs even more. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait I'll wait on a Bubble Bobble 2. I don't need to buy it that badly. I mean, it's $50, bucks. So I'll buy it, but I'm not going to spend $300 sure. on it. And that's the weird point we're at now. That's what the bubble is when you have all this inventory on hand to sell them and people don't want to buy it anymore. So there was also, though, Ian, less, um, less kitschy little toy items because those are like usually the older sellers, the sellers that were like kids, say, in the 70s and early 80s. <laughs> Um, so there is one booth with like the some of the older board games, but even then a lot, a lot more. Than that. Yeah, it yeah. used to be a lot more, and even then, like the 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 shift in the era of the games and stuff had yeah. kind of moved up. I mean, after a while, the toys and things, the things that I always come back, I always come back with a little toy or not really many handhelds. I saw I made two vendors with with like a limited amount of handhelds. Our, our friend Charles who usually sells it or it's not selling anymore, so that's a big like not seeing him sell there was like oh because every year I buy something from him every year. Sure. I buy at least something. One year I bought like 60 handhelds. Not, not even joking how many handhelds I bought. So there's definitely been a shift in the sellers. Demographically, slightly too. You're always going to have a nice mix though, but there, there has been a shift there in the audience. Now you want to speak about the Heritage and WADA folks. So what I, I just want to say the, the Heritage and WADA folks. Um, and Go Collect. And, and Go Collect. Um, we're all there. And I, I saw the WADA booth seemed like it had interest. I mean, that graded collecting of everything is I think going to be around, but I didn't see a whole lot of people necessarily around heritage or, or go collect. Um, this is neither here nor there. This is not a knock against them, but I don't know. I don't know if the convention floor in Portland is necessarily with the shift that's going on. It seemed like it might not have been the best timing for heritage or go well, collect to pop in because I don't know that their market is yeah, there that's, anymore. That's not the clientele. Yeah. The market's not there anymore. A 25 year old kid looking for PS two games is not the clientele. For sealed games, right? It, th- those are the top top one percent. Now there the were people going around Friday buying every sealed game they can to get them graded eventually, and right. you know, and to hoard them and things like that. I mean, we know these people now. I know two in particular that were there, uh, including our friend Danielle uh, was there. I've uh, never met her, so well, she, you should have been. She's your friend Danielle. You, you should have been. I, I, I can't you, judge her one way or you another. You should have been. Well, if I can tell a story, you should have been there. Uh, Friday during the setup because during the setup of the booth where I'm signing uh, certain certain guidebooks, she came over <laughs> with a crowd. Not a crowd. There was like one person with her 
10 feet away. Bobby was there. Bobby was laughing while I'm si- literally unboxed with Simon. She goes, she, she basically just, I don't want to say laid into me, but she was, she was yelling at me and she was trying to get, get back at me for, uh, you know, for my analysis of the Chris Kohler article about the gold NES gold mine rush. And she said, oh, well, I got to make some counterpoints to you. I'm like, well, no, I made the counterpoints to your points in the article where there were no counterpoints. You know, that's how it worked. It's always funny. People say, bring me on your podcast. It's like every other week now. Um, and then it came down to, I said, listen, Danielle. And I like Danielle. I like her. She's feisty. I like her. Um, I said, came on this. I said, I, just said this. I said, listen, I didn't take any personal shots of you, but I said it was, it was came off incredibly arrogant how you were saying how these sellers don't know what they're selling. The same thing I said in the response, when their clientele doesn't, you know, the, they don't care. Those big game sellers don't care about the bros be on the left or right because they're not making money yeah, off we, of that. We do know about that. I, I've known about that forever. But you We've can't, never charged more for exactly. because no one would buy so it. So it's incredibly arrogant to say these vendors that sellers have been doing for 20 years don't know what they're talking about. And she said, well, they don't know what they're talking about. I said, see, that's the problem. You can't say that to these people. It's arrogant. And then she finally said, yeah, I can be arrogant. I'm like, well, there you go. If you're admitting yourself, then, then I didn't say anything wrong. <laughs> I really did. I, I told her I loved her. I didn't see her the rest. I don't think I saw the rest of the weekend there. But it was funny because in the middle of yelling at me, she looked around. Do you have any games for sale? So she was still in that mode of buying the games. I just thought it was funny. Collector's going to collect. Uh, if you want to say collector, investor, yes, they're going to do that. Um, So that was fun. Oh, it's the PRG. Our panel went well. See a podcast panel. Even my voice was like, you think it's bad now? It was like 10 times worse. I was talking like this the whole time. That was fun. I yeah. want to mention... Uh... Um, I'll, I'll briefly mention two things here. They're, they're kind of related. Um, greatest thing in the world you ever showed me on um, the convention floor. Uh, was, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I have to Bas- talk about it just because it was... This is a game that I've wanted my entire life and basketball never classics. knew it existed. <laughs> so, um, basketball classics. So, it's uh, we found that on the floor. It's a it's an indie game. It's an uh, 8-bit style um, basketball game. Basically, the, the, from what I can tell, the idea was they wanted to take Tecmo basketball but make it good. Uh, yeah, so basically, like the Tecmo Super Bowl style of game, but transfer that into... Because I don't think Tecmo actually worked on Tecmo NBA basketball. i got to look at the developer. But it doesn't seem like a Tecmo style game compared to Tecmo Bowl. And tech, you know what I mean? Like, it's just different. So um, the game is wild. It has like... I went over and I saw it and I lost my mind. Well, I, I pointed out that you even like ran over. Yeah, I, I... And it was only like 25, <laughs> 30 feet away from us. We didn't see it yeah. on Saturday. So, uh, yeah. anyways, they... Um, so, I, I'm looking at them, and I play the demo, and it's it, it's fun. And basically, um, the game, you know, you can, like, choose a play like a pick and roll by, like, running down that lane on the first half of it, if you okay. want to. That's or you don't... And, and, like, you'll see, like, the meter charge up, and then that's... It initiates that play, so it'll send the... Oh, AI you can do a meter do charge? To send a, okay. Well, so it, it, I, I'll have to explain it to you better. I'll, I'll, I'll be streaming this tonight if I'm not dead. Um, okay. But, um, you know, it's simple three-button gameplay. Pass, block, jump, um, shoot. And... Uh, it's got nine hundred over nine hundred players in it. With with stats. With stats. Uh, so basically, there's when you go to load up, just say like a quick game, um, you go back and forth between. Uh, you, there's a, a a year on the side, and you can change the year, and then you can pick 
different teams from each year. Some years it has everything, everyone. Some years it just has, um, you know, like the playoff teams, but they're constantly adding new rosters. Sure. Um, and then it, it, it's crazy because, like, you can pick a certain year and a certain team, and, like, the star players will be wearing the right colored shoes and stuff like that. But it's, they're small little techno bowl yeah, style guys. So but it's, it's, like, it's, 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 it's really detailed for what it is. There's a story mode? So there's I started, tournament season? I started playing the story mode. I got to tell you a little bit about the story mode last Real quick. Real quick. Uh, I'll, I'll talk more about the game later, but the story mode, you start off, you like steal a basketball, and then a giant floating head comes and talks to you. And you play on a team that's called the, um, oh, it's killing me, like the Slugs or something. like. Or it's like a name for like a bad team. And you have to assemble a new team, and it's like you're in a dream state, and you have to like recruit players like Bird and Jordan onto okay. your team and by doing so you play a match against them uh uh on the like on the team from their best year. So okay. you're playing against like their all-star versions and then you recruit it, it's 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 nuts. I wish I could say more about it. I played it for like 2 hours last night. I'm too tired to talk comprehensively. Okay, and um there's also like cut scenes, the dynamic dunk cutaway system things oh, like that and so tip off stuff. Certain dunks are more like a mini game where like you'll go up and you have to kind of like position the ball. You have to position the ball and time it properly so that it gets past the defender. And there's a YouTuber team that's unlockable. Yes. <laughs> Without our approval, or I don't care. I'm we don't care. It's approved. I don't uh, care. I am the uh, I am the point guard. Ian is the small forward on this YouTuber unlockable team. Yes. With stats. Now I will update my stats. They're incorrect. I'm in the game. I saw the stat. My stats screen <laughs> picture. I, and every every a player has like a close up picture of themselves. Like in the selection. So the, the artist, this is two guys, Namo Gamo Games, two guys did this. This is their first game. The, the, the artist drew 900 faces. Yeah. For legendary players and, and assholes like us. So so I'm going to tell my new stats and update them. Because my rebounding, my I'm, offense is way too high, but my defense and, and defense is too too low. So we're going to swap that. I need out. to double check mine. I need to make sure my stats are garbage. I would like to be represented. I'd like to be represented realistically. <laughs> um, oh, and the soundtrack is phenomenal and very weird. All right, so check it out. It's on Steam. It's called Basketball Classics. I bought a little disc from them with a scratch off code. It was a nice uh, nice sure. way to sell it. it. Looked like a three and a quarter floppy. It's only uh, I think it's nine ninety nine. Check it out there, and it's getting good reviews on Steam so far. So, moving on. Ian. Pat. Star Wars. Trending number one right now. Do you want to watch the trailer? We'll discuss it. Let's do it. I've never seen it. Let's do, you've never seen Star Wars ever? Ever. Not one. Not a Star Wars. Did you see the new ones at all? I did. I liked them. You saw Last Jedi? I liked Last Jedi better than, better than Force Awakens. Did you really? Yeah. Okay, let's play this. Is it the volume up here? I didn't think it was an amazing movie, but it was fine. It was a Star War. It was a Star War? It's an instinct. Closed captions on? Feeling. The Force brought us together. We're not alone. That was Lando. We'll fight if we lead them. The vulture. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. But I do. Wet Kylo. (laughs) 
pile of wet. Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Aww. You rolled your eyes. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. Horses? Ooh, a B wing. That's all. Yeah. Oh. The force will be with you. Always. Boom, boom, boom. Bum, bum, bum. The last Star Wars movie with, well, at least in, th- in that galaxy, they're going to do more Star Wars movies, but it's not going to be Skywalker or, you know, or, you know, Rebel Alliance versus the Empire. Ian, are you excited for Star Wars? I mean, <laughs> in the way that I'm excited for every Star Wars movie, which you're, you're is that I, I will watch it. Yeah. Um, I didn't see Return of the or, uh, Rise, <sighs> Force Awakens, Rise of the Jedi, Theater Return of the Jedi. What the fuck was the second one? Last Jedi. Last Jedi. Jedi. Did you see the last movie? I didn't see that one in theaters. I finally did watch it. Like I I think I mentioned on the podcast, I watched it about six months ago, and I was like, "Hey, this is a fine movie. It's it's okay. It's fine. It's okay. I have no. It's not a classic. I have no issues with it. It's not the worst movie. Um, But yeah, it's hard for it's hard for me with Star Wars. I think to expect anything more than it was cool. You know, I like it. But this, I I, I mean, I I like I like the characters they've introduced in this movie. I, I I like Finn. I like Poe. I like Ray. I like Poe. I like them. Um, I would like to see how it finishes. Um, the Kylo Ren stuff. I like it. I, it. I don't. I. I hope more than anything. I watch a trailer like this, and I just hope to God that the fans are fucking happy in some way, shape, or form. Because I don't want to goddamn hear it after this yeah, movie. It, I don't. I, I'm, I, I'm sort of. That's t- I'm where sort of I'm tired. burned out. That's I, what I'm burned out on. I'm not burned out. I'm sort of tired. And th- what this trilogy has done, it, it, you can say the prequel trilogy didn't do this as much. This this third trilogy has has exposed just how thin this universe is in terms of what you can do with it. I mean, it's st- it's still the same right. evil empire versus ragtag group with lightsabers all the fucking time and shit battles. I mean, I understand that's what Star Wars is built upon, but how many movies can you do until enough? We've seen the same story. Again, yeah, I'm not again. arguing that that stuff's bad because it's not bad at all. It's fun, but we don't I, I, like it has to end. Though at some point, to, I mean, to yeah. me, it has to. Oh yeah, it does. And I'm a and I'm a huge Star Wars. I mean, I was. I mean, come on, I collected the toys. I, come on. That's a. I, I mean, I I looked at that trailer and I'm. I think I, I'm more interested in that. Than I'm I interested was in. in I want to see how yeah. it ends. I want to see how they how they retcon some. They they claim they're not retconning some stuff from Last Jedi. I, oh yes, they are. You only see Rose on screen in the trailer for like a, like a second, and she was a, a semi important character in the Last Jedi. Um. And obviously the Emperor thing has come out of nowhere for this third movie. 
And people are like, oh, this is cool. We get the Emperor back because he's an awesome character. And we killed off the other guy in the middle of the movie anticlimactically. Um, Snopes or whatever the hell his name is. Snope? Snope? Snoke. Snoke. Snopes is the website. But um, yeah, big space battle check. Forest check. Lando check. Emperor check. It's it's Return of the Jedi. So every movie has been a retread in some form of the original trilogy. Yes. It has been the, elements. It, it, last, I, the last, end of Last Jedi was Hoth, except it wasn't ice, it was sand. You know, like, it, they haven't been able to... That's the one thing about Lucas, that Lucas, even though he went too far in some places, as he admits, he at least went radically off the rails in the prequels to do something he that we really didn't see before in the, in the original uh, trilogy. Yeah. He, I, he failed because it was too far, uh, but that's... This is overly familiar to me versus that was radically weird with stuff like Jar Jar that totally missed the mark. Yeah, like, it, it, it hits too many familiar beats, and even just looking at that trailer, I go, oh, this is the, this is the Return of the this Jedi. Return of Jedi. Yeah. We're going to have a, a big ship battle while Rey faces the Emperor. Um, you know what I mean? So I, I, I'm excited, but I've seen the people saying, oh, I'm crying over this. I'm just like, I, I wish I still had that sort of in my heart. I just don't anymore. Well, and I, it. and I, it's going to be fun. And J.J. Abrams is a good director. I have to say, I, I, I hold, I, I don't even, I, I think no differently about someone who is like that. I wish I still felt that way about some movie or something sure. like that. Like, I get it. I just, it, it's not doing it for me. It's, it, it hits the beats. It's trying to tug on the heartstrings. It's, but it, it it's. It's fine, but it is doing it in the I think the most obvious it's ret- uh, it's retur- way. It's it's re- it's Return of the Jedi two to me. That's what- <laughs> Luckily, Return of the Jedi was my favorite of the original okay. trilogy, so hopefully this will be my favorite of this one. Because- it wasn't mine, but it wasn't a bad movie. It just didn't stack up with the other ones, right. at least to me, because I I hated the idea of having a second Death Star, and obviously the Ewoks to me was weak, and that was a marketing move, and it was like, oh, we didn't see the Ewoks in here. Cross your fingers, maybe they'll come back. Now, if the Ewoks come back, all all debts are off. I'm like, I'm gonna trash this movie if there's Ewoks. If they somehow fit Endor into this, I want a fucking Ewok. You want a fucking Ewok? Oh, I want, I want, I want. You want to clarify? You want to clarify <laughs> that statement? I want a fucking Ewok in the movie. You I want would a like to Ewok see in the movie? a. You know, what? I'm just gonna drop the expletive. <laughs> I would like to see an Ewok in the movie. There goes, there goes our analytic. <laughs> there goes uh, suppressing our video because the, the cursing and the ads, I and mean, that's a thing. But whatever, it's Ewoks. Um, yeah, I think that'd be exciting. I, I, I want to see what ends up. It's supposed to be the longest movie out of all the Star Wars. It's like two hours thirty five minutes. The last shot that was over two and a half hours. That was way long. Uh, but this this is going to tie it up. And the one thing I'll say about this character is I really think they dropped the ball uh, in two ways. Um, they've had a, a lightsaber battle in all the movies between Kylo and Rey, which they should have waited, I think, at least uh, for that. So it's like, well, but at this point, it's like the third or fourth time they're having a lightsaber battle. It's like, it just doesn't feel the same way as, you know, you waited until Empire and Luke got his ass kicked at least at the end of the second movie because he was under train. In this movie, they sort of were even in the first movie. Um, and then the second movie, Ray gets more powerful and she's more powerful. Mary Sue, et cetera, et cetera, if you want to go to that, down that path. <laughs> no. First, the first time I heard the term Mary yeah. Sue. Uh, but I think they really dropped the ball with Finn in particular. Uh, Finn really didn't do that much in the second movie when you think about it. No. Um, Poe didn't do that much in the first movie. No. Poe po disappeared for the middle like hour of that movie. So that's what I mean about they don't have – the built-in camaraderie that Leia, Han, and Luke did because they were always palling around together uh, in the first movie, and then for there always were groups of them in the second and the third. Yes, they got split up. They, we really haven't had that experience with these three characters where they're together for a chunk of a movie. 
Right. And I think that's been to the detriment. I, I don't think these characters... I think that history could be to the positive of this movie, though. That's what I think. Well, they're I'm falling hoping, together? I think, I'm hoping that's what the payoff is. is well, you know, you, you get to see them together. But you want to see them together to build up the familiarity. I, no, I get it. I get I, it. I don't see in the future... I don't just I just don't see the love for these three characters as the original three. I don't think you would have saw it anyway, but they haven't earned it. They, they haven't been like... that. Those interactions between the three of them, like... I mean, hell, the interaction... In, in, in the in the uh, in the the Death Star trash compactor scene is it's brilliant between the three of them. It mm-hmm. almost sounds semi ad lib some of the lines. Yeah, and that sort of chemistry I ha- you had not seen to that extent with these three characters in this because they haven't been together. Um, so so hopefully that's that's a thing going forward. Um, yeah. So like I said, I'll be there. Maybe not opening day, but you know because the tickets sold out quicker than Endgame supposedly. They sold out a ton more of them. Uh, but I'll be there sometime during the during the weekend. You know, we'll we'll go at a midnight showing over here. You know, hopefully not the second round. Yeah, I'll go see it. Like I said, I didn't see uh, Last Jedi in theaters. Um, and I do like, I mean... I love, I'm a, I like, I I love I space like, battles. Oh, I was going to say, I love being surrounded by lasers and whooshing spaceships. So, I mean, I, 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 do, I don't want people to think I'm overly negative on this. In fact, I, I, my, my, my lack of enthusiasm is more just like, it, it's more of a, it's going to be fine. Not yeah. a, it's going to be bad. It's, it's going to be fine. I, I just wish that, in retrospect, I think a lot of people years from now will be like, what could have been if they actually did like the Admiral Thrawn trilogy or something that was well-established that you had, you know, people loved like 20 years ago that you could have drawn sure. upon more for something totally different. I mean, obviously, they didn't use any Lucas's ideas. Uh, by the way, shout out to our friend Yoshi, who worked on the Death Star. So, like, when you see him fight on the Death Star and all the yeah. images, that's Yoshi plugging away in a CG station doing that. Good job, my friend, Yosh. All right, moving on. Everyone's got a cell phone nowadays, Ian. But if you're still using one of those big wireless providers in 2019, you have to ask yourself, why? Why? You're paying for expensive retail stores, inflated prices, hidden fees. You might be being taken advantage of. Enter our pals at Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile provides the same premium network coverage you're used to, but at a fraction of the cost because everything is done online. Less overhead. They save on retail locations and then pass those savings to you, Mint Mobile makes it easy to cut your wireless bill down to just $15 a month, and that's with unlimited nationwide talk and text, and you can stop paying for unlimited data you'll never use because you can choose between plans with 3, 8, or 12 gigabytes of 4G LTE data. I don't know anyone who needs 12 gigabytes, but hey, you might. You know, if you're an Uber driver or constantly streaming movies, maybe you need that. Here's the best part, Ian. You get to keep your own phone with Mint Mobile and uh, your own your own number. As long as you own your phone and it's unlocked and it's a GSM phone, you can just transfer to Mint Mobile. They'll ship you a nice little kit with a little SIM, little SIM card with different sizes that you clip off and you put in your phone. And you get you get the little app and you're up and running in like 15 minutes. It's great. I have it. I use it. And they use the T-Mobile network. And it's a legit nationwide network. So you won't get those dropped calls that are frisky. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash CU podcast. That's mintmobile.com slash CU podcast and cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month today. All right, Ian, we were at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Is it time for a little magic? We had a panel. It, a lot of magic because Ian's analog pocket was announced. That's right. And he's happy. So Ian's going to talk about it here. Exciting times the past uh, the past week, of course, just like a year ago, we discussed a new announcement by Analog literally at Portland last year for the Super NT. No, for the Mega SG. Was it Mega SG a year ago? Mega SG was a year ago. Two years ago was Super NT. Correct. So once a year, they're coming on board. Ian, it's the they just announced the Analog 
pockets. So at the end of the, yeah. So at the end of, I don't know if they can hear you. I hope they can. I hope they can hear the enthusiasm. <laughs> um, so at the end of the last podcast, we mentioned that um, they were going to be making an announcement um, about a system on Wednesday, and we were hoping that we would uh, be talking about it this weekend. And I went off, like I, my my brain started spiraling out of control. I started thinking about all the things it could be. And I was like, boy, howdy, it would be great if it was a portable system that could do Neo Geo Pocket Color and Game Gear and all those things. And I woke up the next morning and had to go to the bathroom. Is, you, um, is your brain dialect really say, bo- boy, howdy to yourself? I say, boy, howdy to myself and you other people a, all the time. You have an old-timey personality, I guess, yeah. internal narration going on. Yeah, it's not okay upstairs. Um, <laughs> so... So yeah, they announced it, and it it's so it will it, it it's going to be called the Analog Pocket. It's going to be one ninety nine. It comes out sometime next year. Um, it's going to do Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance out of the box, and with adapters, it will do Game Gear, Neo Geo Pocket Color, and Links. Uh, and more, it says. There's and no more. mention of Wonder Swan, but I'm wondering if that's because they're trying to keep the marketing on brand to. Stuff that was released in the United States. Systems people actually played here, yes. Because, well, yeah, yeah, the Wonderswan never came out here. Um, so with the uh, they've added a second FPGA board, which will allow um, third-party development. So hobbyists, whoever wants to, can develop new cores. And then, ostensibly, if there was an adapter made for it, I would think it would probably be able to do Wonderswan. Fine, I would hope. From the magic mind of Kevtris, so, programming all these cores, we think. We prob- it probably is. So this is a description. Uh, a multi-video game system, portable handheld, a digital audio workstation yeah, with a, that in a built-in synthesizer and sequencer, a tribute to portable gaming. Look at that. Look at that, Ian. Completely engineered in two FPGAs. It's beautiful. And there's a black version and a white version. Yes. Um, so just like every system they've done so far, well, they did it with the... Um, the Genesis, and they did it with the... Did they do it with the uh, Super Analog? Was, what, was there a pack-in on that? Uh, well, the NT had the... Uh, which one had the, had the, uh, the run-and-gun shooter? Was that the Genesis one? Um, yes. Anyways, so that was the Genesis one. I'm, I'm trying to okay. remember if there was one on the Super Nintendo. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, Turrican right. 2 yes. was Super. Okay, I, I, that's right. It was what, is, what, did the, what did the Mega SG have with it? Hardcore. That's right. Okay. So... They're including something uh, on this one that I think is very unique and very fitting of the system that they're making. So uh, what they're including with the um, Analog Pocket is a program called NanoLoop. Uh, NanoLoop's been around for a long time. Uh, it's up there with LSDJ as one of the two, I would say, main programs people use for composing chiptunes on the Game Boy. Um, I think the Game Boy at this point is is a lot of people, well, at least I do, associate it with music production. Um, all of the neat mods that have come out recently in the past, you know, decade for Game Boys, the backlights, the new shells, the fancy silicon buttons. It's all kind of been based around um, the people who use these systems for chip tuning. So it's very interesting to see them make that nod and include this on there. So instead of a game, you're getting music production software. Can you explain real quick, like, how would you use that in a setup? 
So uh, NanoLoop is uh, it's a sequencer and a synthesizer. So basically you can go in and you can mess with the waveforms and then you can place them out like you would on a drum machine. Um, the pictures that they show of it actually kind of do a really good job of explaining how it works. And step by step it will play the notes that you've placed into, um, basically it's like a piano roll. It's like a timeline like time you're looking at. So I, I, anyways, I think it's very, they very much understand their market with this. Um, I, 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 when we talked about it on the podcast, I did mention, I was like, I, it would be really neat if it was pro sound and all that. And it looks like it's going to have nice audio output and it's going to cater towards that sort of market. So yeah, I'm very which excited is, which has about that. Which helped keep Game Boy alive the past, like what, say 10, 15 years about. Yes. Know, it's not just scene. gaming. It's, it's used yeah. as an instrument and they're making a, a very obvious nod. Because the audio direction. chip in the Game Boy is more powerful than the NES one. It's more advanced. You can do a little bit more with it. Yes. Yeah, but it still has that old-timey 8-bit you know, feel to it. Right, I think it's probably what people would think of most when they think of chip tunes. Yeah, it's a little more complex. You can do a little bit more of that. So they've also said that uh, next year they're going to be putting a dock out for it. Um, I'm going to guess the dock is going to be 100, but I have no idea. Uh, I'm going to base that on the fact that Nintendo gets 80 for their docks. For, for an Switch, HDMI out dock. And it's, it's, yeah, so I have a feeling they'll be able to get a $100 price tag on that, which makes it 3 um, so we don't know. The, then there's no direct HDMI out that we know of then with no, this. there isn't. Um, That's a shame. With the dock and the additional FPGA board that can be worked on. Yeah, that's, um, that's a big one to me. And the size of it, then you start to think about it and it gets exciting because it's like it having is. a flash cart that you don't need a system for. It's small. It's portable. Yeah. You can put a core for something else on there. And, um, you know, depending on how they do the adapters or obviously it's going to be jailbroken and people are going to be using ROMs, uh, you can travel this thing around and use it to play just about anything, I think. So like the, the opportunities are really very there, – there's, there's almost no limit to what you can do with it. Limit. So famously – Starting with the mini NT, or yeah, the mini NT, like they were quote unquote jailbroken uh, almost officially, unofficially, to let other cores be ported onto it, 8 bit cores. So with this, I mean, Kevtris has like what, 10, 12 cores he's done, going back to like, you know, like, you know, like the Intellivision and, you know, things like that, and Atari. Right. So that's what he was talking about, like bring those cores that exist if they're. Not as com- they're not more complex, and then you put them on this. Now you have a portable device for multiple systems, potentially. Right. Once it's- that thing can read ROMs, I mean, you can be taking, uh, you know, the PC Engine library around with you. You could take the oh, Turbo Express. Turbo Express. So, oh God. Oh there. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Hearts a flutter. Don't get your sick. Maybe it's the halls drops. You're smelling medicated. No. Did um, I get drugged by this random person? So, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't love the look of it. I, it, it Why don't you like about it? I, I just, I prefer the wider hold as opposed to the, um, as opposed to the more narrow design. I think the buttons look a little close together. The, I really don't the like. The action buttons. I really don't like these corner, bottom right menu buttons. That's really bad. If you're holding it, I think you can hit it by accident. They should, I'm not, I don't want to listen to me, they should recess those buttons. So right. Like a reset button on a computer where you have to really dig your finger in to hit it. I think people might hit those buttons by accident. So as much as this um, system is kind of like everything I want out of a, a portable, um, I, I, I don't love the look of it. But really, I, it's not going to matter once it's doing what it's supposed to do, are which there, is playing the games. Are there triggers for Game Boy yeah, Advance? Are. Of course there are. There's no, where's a picture with them? They show them. It's where the cartridge goes in. Oh, that is? Is that an HDMI out? 
Not there? No, that's a link cable. It's oh. a link port. There's your triggers. Oh, I didn't see them. Oh, so they're like kind of at the bottom where the car, Game Boy car would be. So it's not all the way up. It's like in the middle. That's, that's okay. That works. Yeah, that's fine. So kind of like SSP-ish, ish in a way. Yes. Cool. Uh, no, okay. I'm on board. I'm, I'm down. If this can, if, they, if we get a Turbo Graphics FPGA core, they throw this on this and have Turbo Express basically in a better way because this is going to be a much cleaner LCD screen. Is it three and a half inches? Where is it? 3.5 615 PPI LCD with the 1600 times 1440 resolution. So that'll get you all the all the systems up to like modern day you could have on there with that resolution in a small size. That's like that's like overkill for an LCD that size. Yeah, that's great. Ten times the resolution of an original Game Boy. Yeah, we can hardly believe it either. <laughs> Pro level color accuracy, dynamic range, and brightness. That's everything. Yeah. The brightest can be like through the roof with the modern LCD on here. It's great. So the question is, what what, what are we going to be talking about next year? I mean, how, how many more places can they go? Turbo and PC Engine. That would be naturally next. Yeah, Turbo and PC Engine. Um, sure, you're not wrong. Well, <laughs> that is something they could do. <laughs> but if but if it was too complex for developers back then. To do an FPGA, sure. that will probably take years and years, you know? So, I mean, ideally, I, I think the one that would be, that people would want next would be an N64, but I don't think, I don't think we'll get that next year. No, I think you'll stay with the 8-bit stuff first, like Turbo, and get that out of the way. Get that whole generation out of the way, then move forward. Um, I'm not sure, where do the, uh, where do the adapters on the Mega SG cost? Like $10 each for a Sega Mass system? Is that what they cost? Uh, it comes with it. It came with it? Yeah. Would it come with the card one as well, or is that separate? That's separate, and I don't think that's been released yet, which okay. is something that's probably worth bringing up. As neat as these adapters oh, the, are, the we, card have to, one? we have to see them first. Gotcha. Without them, and, and you're with, not doing anything. And with this, you need them to make one, two, just two, one, or three. Game Gear, Pocket Color, and Lynx adapters we need. Right? Correct. Because the other three can do on its own. Okay, that's, to me, a little problematic just because... Everyone's going to want all of them just in case. I mean, to me, I love the Lynx, and that thing is gigantic. It's nice to have a little small Lynx I can play Gauntlet and California Games on or APB. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm in for a Lynx one for sure. Um, I don't have many NG, NG PC games in, uh, to use that with. But uh, I think, what are they, $10 each, the adapters? I think that's reasonable. Um, I wish it would come with one of your choice maybe if they get them all done ahead of time. That'd be cool. You know, yeah, I think we'll be one. waiting to see them. You think so? Yeah. Well, that's but, a big seller to me is getting the extra systems. I mean, that's great. It's six and one. They said plus more, whatever that is. Uh, yeah, this is exciting. Uh, now you can preserve video game history too. Yeah, 100 years from now, there might just be FPGA systems that still exist that you can play. You know, maybe the hardware and circuitry breaks down on a regular game. Boy, let's, you know, you keep it like in a 60 degree non humidity room and it'll still work. Like, who knows? But uh, that's what they're thinking about, too, which is great. So, um, yeah. I think if, if they do one a year uh, over the next 10 years and, and get all these systems going, and who knows how far the technology jumps, or, hey, maybe you do a, a PS1 FPGA at some point. You know, like, that would be interesting sure. we get to that point. But there's a big jump up between 16-bit and then the leap forward to, like, 32 and 64. It's, like, in terms of the complexity to program the FPGA, as far as I know, I'm not an expert, it, it, it's, like exponentially harder. So, so anyone want to see Pat's mouse? That's when dropping on my hardwood floor. It's for real bad. Year. 
Thanks for thanks for mouse. No problem. I'm just upset that this no. hasn't been fixed. Thanks for mouse shaming me. You <laughs> You're welcome. How am I going to fix it? Glue the pieces back. Buy on? a new one. That that obviously cost three dollars ten years ago. Swap me dollar. You see what I got to put up with? I'm like dying here already. But all right. So is this going to be open pre-orders or limited? I think it's limited, right? Limited on here. I already signed up for the uh, alert. What's the cost? One ninety nine, ninety nine. One ninety nine, and then I'm gonna guess one hundred for the dock next year. That's a little. They gotta bring that price down on the dock. They gotta try uh, on that because a lot of people would love to play all these games on. Let's put it this way: if you can somehow get a turbo uh, graphics FPG on here and then use this on a TV, that would eliminate the need almost for another, you know, a separate console. Basically. That's what I was talking about yeah. earlier. That's yeah. I brought right. <laughs> No, but, but, yeah. I mean, yes, that's guess, exactly it. But I guess you got to attach a second controller somehow through the console. Uh, you can atta- you, it, it already said the dock will let you do two uh, wired or Where's two. Where's the dock on this page? I don't see it. Oh, there it is. It'll let you do two wired oh, there it is. or the two um, wireless controllers. Oh, the 8 controllers are nice, the Bluetooth ones. It's like they thought of everything. They thought of everything. That's not going to be $100. I mean, it can't be 100 bucks for that. Watch it. Watch wow. it be 100. All right, Surly Ian, okay. All right. Well, I guess moving on. And we're back. Oh, yep, here we I, are. Ian, you were so excited. I was. I was very excited. Uh, I said a lot of uh, I said a lot of good things, I think. Uh, you said a lot of good things? I think you probably said a lot of good things, too, from you, what you, I remember. You can barely hear my voice, then. From what I remember. Uh, yep, but there we go. Also, at PRGE, Ian, we spoke about the Internet Archive, adding... 2,500 more DOS games to their playable database. We all love DOS games. And you get to hear Pat talk about his childhood story about Donkey uh, on DOS. So we're going to transfer to that talk now. The good old Internet Archive, Ian. Hard at work, archiving our, our, our digital lives. They've just added 2,500 more DOS games to their playable database. What's that take it up to? I don't know. Let's find out. They had 2,400 from 2015, so I guess that brings it closer to 5,000. So that's incredible. That's absurd. But it's great to see it all up there, especially um, easily accessible in one spot. And you can play them through whatever the browser. Um, that's great. Because uh, a lot of times, you know, DOS box is hard to configure. So if they pre configure it in the browser for each individual game, that's 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 like most of the work done for you at that point. Um, and, and the big thing about <clears throat> about DOS games is that some of these are so archaic and weird. Let's go to the actual uh, announcement here. Um, like some of these, you'll never uh, you'll never see or have heard of again. For some of these, uh, let's see, IBM DOS version of Adventure called Microsoft Adventure, a small rebranding of the original start of the text adventure. World Colossal Cave, or I didn't know there was an version of that. How would you like? Where would you come across that ever again? Something like that. You know what I mean? Like this is this is really weird stuff. That this a lot of this stuff's not going to be for sale ever again. You're not going to find it in collections. You know, like like official re-releases. So some of this, you know, you have to archive some of this. Um, this isn't like uh, people, you know, selling a bunch of Super Nintendo ROMs and putting it in your Super Nintendo Classic. No, that most of those games are readily available. You can find them. You can buy them in some form. You can buy them here. Uh, these are games you cannot. Uh, Super Muntrous, the challenge continues. All right? Here you go. 
1983 Digger. I played this as a kid. On my dad had a you know the five and the quarters he'd bring home from work. This is a game that it's a, like kind of like a dig done clone, but it's like original. Mm-hmm. And that's a game that I'm sure who actually heard of this game before with its CGA graphics. Three people, four. I'm surprised. But but the point is that um, if you don't archive stuff like this, like I'm not even sure I can could find this like a re, an official version of this. No, probably not. I mean, and that's what I mean about DOS games being in their sort of weird space outside of other game collecting and preservation. Uh, like we were up in the, in the past about the DOS preservation project, trying to trying to archive not just every DOS game but every DOS utility program and things like that. And they still they have a list of ones they haven't even found to dump that they know exist but they can't find them. So this is fantastic. I mean, I I should spend a weekend. I should become a, a you know a Twitch streamer of these games and do that. That would be fantastic to do that. So a, a DOS game. There was one DOS game that for like a month of my life when I was about. Six or seven, I wanted to be a truck driver. What, what? Yeah. Um, the open road, Ian. So, so uh, my, uh, my dad and I would browse the local BBSs uh, for um, games to download, shareware. Oh. You know, you'd sit there and you'd wait two hours to get onto the BBS, and then you would go through the archives and see all the games, and then you would wait, you know, eight years to download something. That was like 10 kilobytes. And there was a game called Big Rigs. And I was like, boy, that sounds good. I don't know why. I, I was never interested in trucks as a kid, but I wanted to play Big Rigs. So my dad downloaded it, and it took forever. And it was a horrible text adventure trucking game. Well, that sounds oddly familiar. But I really, like, it was one of those things where, you know how, like, you get something for Christmas, and it might not have been what you wanted or a gift for your birthday, but you play what you have when you're a kid. So I tried to make the best of this truck driving game and got really into it. I learned about, like, retreads and, you know, the difference between buying some retreaded tires or some fresh tires. Anyway, was DOS, it, DOS gaming's really important. Was it like the text version of the Lemonade game? Like, but for sort of. It was like, do you want to keep driving in a straight line? Yes, let's keep driving. Do you want to keep driving some more? I do want to keep driving some more. Do you want to stop at the rest stop? I'd prefer to just keep on trucking. So... Yeah, it was fantastic. Anyways, I didn't okay. become a truck driver. I'm doing this with you. Did it include any of those the CD uh, truck stop little adventures? I'm, I'm just here with you. Okay. Trucking well, along. A little more famously than that is um, the early um, Donkey game. So what? there was a game called Donkey. So oh, my, yeah. On the disc that my dad would pirate. Sorry, Dad. I'm, the FBI is going to come and get you. That has some of these games on it. It had, like, a digger. It had a clone of Cuber called Jaybird. Anyone hear that one? It literally changed around all the sprites. Uh, there was a game called Donkey. It was a basic game. You had a load of basic to play yeah. it. So I'm excited because I'm five years old. This is Donkey Kong. You load it up. It's a um, overhead racer game. You have a car. You hit left or right, go back and forth, and the object is not to hit donkeys in the road. You hit a donkey, the donkey explodes. And I was famously coded by Bill Gates, like back in like 1980 or so, you know, like an early DOS thing he coded. But that was Donkey. It's a real bait and switch. It was a bait and switch when you're five and it's free. You got to learn how to read, <laughs> how to load up in, in basic because my dad wasn't going to do it, you know. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting. So the, the world of DOS games is incredible. Um, and we're not even getting to like the CD-ROM era, you know. We're not getting to like the, that weird area in the, like the 
late 80s, early 90s when consoles didn't come close to the computer in terms of not just how games looked and felt, but like the variety of genres they could do. Like they couldn't do platformers, but they could do adventure games better, do strategy games better, and do simulations better. So there's a lot of jewels out there and gems that um, you can get lost in it. So yeah, check, I guess check out the Internet Archive, you know, before, before someone shuts them down. Like, but I guess no one's going after them for this stuff. Because like this is a lot of this stuff is you know I, that that weird term abandonware when no one's thought about these games for like decades. You know, I should buy the rights to Digger. I think I should do that. Get donkey rights from Bill Gates. Get donkey that. rights from Bill Gates sounds extremely shady. Like that could be any number of things going on. Donkey rights—that's our code yeah. word for that. Yeah, I got his donkey rights in my back pocket. Whoa, okay. Make sure it stays there. Are back. Convoy. Convoy, that's right. Move them out. Donkey and Convoy talk. <laughs> I hope Big you Rig. enjoyed that. Uh, did I tell you that someone found Big Rig? Yes, they found it online. They, they found it online for me because their kid wanted to play it for some reason after. Go out and find Donkey. Play Donkey. <laughs> I'll get John. So. All right, Ian, we haven't talked about a top video game list in a while. We haven't. It's been a while. God damn it, stop My it. My voice is back enough to do that. Um, so, IGN just put out a top 100 video games of all time list. This isn't, a, this isn't like a, it doesn't seem like it's like a, a user submission, because there's like a graphic on it. It's by Justin Davis. I was alerted to this on Twitter by our, our pal Norm, the gaming historian. And the first thing that Norm noted was that the release date for Super Mario Bros. 3 was 1998. So he took a little jab on it. It, it probably meant 88, because 88 is the year, yeah. I believe it came out in Japan, Japan, and it was a year later. Was it a year later here? A year and a half. Uh, here. Well, it was early 90 here, right? Yeah. It was like, I guess right, it was, it was Easter. You know why I knew it was Easter? Because my dumb cousin Chris got it for Easter, and I didn't. Your cousin's real dumb. Yeah. Anyway. What a dumb cousin. Anyway. <laughs> so, did you go through this list, Ian? I did. Um, and honestly... I mean, there's there's weird entries everywhere, um, but we can I, run through it. Quick. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna go. I'll I'll start walk just walking through some of these. So the list we've got Pokemon Go at 100, which honestly, um, at some point I'm not gonna find Pokemon Go being on a list being all that weird. Um, Borderlands 2 Divinity. See the lower the lower portions of these lists never really do a whole lot for me because it's so nebulous, and I think that's where people just like to throw a lot of. Um, stuff in there that they think deserves recognition, but not necessarily, um, you know, ranks somewhere. It's when you get to like the top 25, the top 35 that I start to, um, you know, judge the choices a bit, a bit more harshly. Here's the thing. It's hard to say what's the best game of all time. Is it the the best? Is it most influential? Um, Is it historically um, significant? Is it the best of his genre? You know, like, or uh, the greatest example is genre. To me, you have to combine all those elements in. You know, so something like Tecmo Super Bowl should be on the top 100 list. Doesn't I don't care if it's a sports game. It's was one of the best sports games of this generation, and people still play it today and update it. For me alone, a game like that should be on the top 100. A game like GTA 3 should be on the list because it's so influential in terms of the open world, and that sort of created the formula for open world games going forward. Legend of Zelda should be on the top 100 list just because. You know, like things like that. Pac-Man, you can argue, can make the list because it exploded arcades. So there's different criteria to add, you know, to put on the list. So just be consistent, though, on what your list is. So um, my, my problem before we go through these is that, like, 80% of these games were made within the past 15 years on this list. 
Sure. And that just shows a lack of of knowing the history of video games. And that's a mistake. And that and that goes along a line of not just ignoring the past, but that means what? Any new game that comes out that's great, you're going to have to bump up an older game from the list just to make a new one. And that's what they even explained themselves in IGN. Um, they did a rundown of their changes to this list. Like uh, Ocarina of Time was bumped out of the top 10. Breath of the Wild was added to the top 10. Uh, they swapped Portal and Portal 2. They, the placement of Halo and Halo 2 was swapped. God of War 2019 was added. Uh, Smash Melee was swapped out for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. So right there, it's like, well, if Melee was great, it should still be in the list, not swapped out entirely for a game that's a newer version of it. I don't I don't get that at all. I mean, personally, I don't. Um, that's like saying, well, we'll swap out Super Mario 3 for a newer Super <clears throat> Mario game. It's like, no, yeah, it's still great. You don't necessarily... Yeah, I don't, I don't agree with the swapping out. If Melee... And I don't like Melee, but if Melee st- stands on its own merits, yeah. the new version is not always a better, shinier version yeah, of the game. There's, yeah. there's differences. There's things that, that change between them. There's reasons why people liked Melee. Melee didn't need to be changed or reassessed because it's old and now Ultimate is out. It just needed to be... I mean, they, they, there just needed to be an assessment of where it should be on the list. Just because Ultimate would be on the list doesn't mean that Melee couldn't be. Um, uh, they, they said then why, how did they choose it so people was like ultimate over melee this is them writing no more Wind Waker we try to make room for more franchises capture our staff's loud opinions and focus more on the best games rather than the most influential ones that's a separate list we're planning to make soon okay, okay. I mean that's that's fair I do think there is something here's to be the said about having a difference between influential and best but then if you focus on best by the, by even their standards here this is why we have for the newer version There'll be less and less older games on this list they don't consider best just because they think, I guess, to me, inherently, they think the quality of the newer games are better than the old ones because they have better graphics, even in the old, old franchise. Like, we swapped out, uh, let's see, they, you know, they're, they're adding newer versions of, uh, let's see, uh, let's see, what was the one I just saw? They swapped out. They swapped out, uh, like, a Fallout for the, Fallout 3 was swapped out for Fallout New Vegas. So we'll just, we'll just keep updating. Fallout what? Fallout 3 was swapped out for Fallout New Vegas. Well, I mean, honestly, I, depending on when the list was, I, I feel like that's a reasonable, that's anyway, a reasonable swap. They removed Grim Fandango. They removed Metal Gear Solid Two. They removed Team Fortress Two. They removed Warcraft Two. They removed Oregon Trail. They removed, uh, yeah. So they're they're getting some of these influential games out of there. Well, I mean, but then again, it's also Warcraft Two not being I, and Warcraft Two is is a God, that's a, getting I mean, that's some, almost getting underrated. Rid of some of these games, though. I mean, it, it doesn't mean that the original list was right and this one is now wrong. Some no, no, of these no. Things need to be reassessed. But let's go through it then. I was running through them. Super Mario Bros. Three at a hundred. Okay, that's almost that's like the... not at a hundred. That's at six. It's the way the list is done. It's weird. Oh, it's done weird. They put six first. No, it was because I followed the link for six, and now if you just oh. start scrolling down, it goes from okay then to one. Pokemon Go a hundred. Okay, Borderlands two, Divinity Original Sin two. These are all within the past 10 years. Dishonored, 2012. Final Fantasy VII, the original, at 96. Okay. See, that, that's an interesting drop. And I think You're that, up. That, that's, a, that's an interesting one to me because, I mean, for years that game was constantly in top 25s. And yeah, I was like top, top 25, t- top 30s. Um, okay. But, I mean, th- I think it's fair, too. As time has gone on, you know, and people have looked at it differently and the hype has died down and other better RPGs have come out, I can see where, you know... In, in a 20 year time span something like Final Fantasy 7 would no longer be held in that regard and that's fine okay uh, I'm, I'm going to count the games before 2000 by the way as we go through this so, so far we have none right we have none so far until this one since one I was going to say Final Fantasy 7 yeah it's one okay Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag I don't know anything about that game at all or Assassin's Creed games Monkey Island 2 LeChuck's Revenge okay Ian you're a fan of that series that, that... Mm, yes I am okay 
Uh, Burnout 3 Takedown from 2004. You know anything about the Burnout series? Yeah, it's a really good game. I, I, I mean, it, none of these games are necessarily... I'd say uh, Burnout two, should be on there. Undertale, that, that's the indie darling on here. Uh, League of Legends, okay. That's for Hollywood. Mega Man 3, that's what we want to see. You usually see Mega Man 2, not Mega Man 3. I, I've see, it seems like it's a 50-50 split between people. Okay, Mega Man 3 took every lesson from Mega Man 2 and expanded, refined, remixed it. So already they're updating the newer version of it. Soul Calibur absolutely deserves to be in the top 100, I would say. If you, if you have to limit to like three or four fighting games, that should be there. Thief to the Middle Age, that's a weird one, just because I never heard that one being as well-regarded as the first one back in the day, and I heard that I thought that Thief 2 was, was buggy. I remember playing Thief 1, I played Thief 2, I never heard that one being... SimCity 2000, absolutely. SimCity 2000 was a great game, really expanded the and, and defined the mold of the series going forward. Uh, Inside, from 2016, I've never heard of that. Inside. It's a great uh, game. I don't, it's weird that it's on the list, though. Contra. Now, here's the thing, Ian. I don't, I'm not sure Contra makes the top 100 list, and I love Contra. I don't know if that deserves to be on the list or not. Oh, I think it does. I, I'm just saying I don't think. It maybe or barely makes it. That that game is a fucking master class in control tuning. That, okay. That, that game is... That, it, I'm not it, saying it's, it's not one of the, the best running shooters, but I, I guess I would maybe, maybe put it in the 90s then. And I love it. Uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. I don't know much about that series, but I hear that's like, yeah, it's fantastic for a skating game. Um, oh, I have to add one more to the top before 2000 monster hunter world from uh, 2018 it's almost like too soon to put these on the top 100 list they're too new some of these i mean it was well it was incredibly well reviewed the expansion came out it's been incredibly well reviewed i think it is probably one of the best online games i've played resident evil 2 the remake which just came out uh system shock 2 that's actually i like that. grand theft auto vice city see putting that and not gta 3 uh, See, I'm surprised they didn't put San Andreas. So I, yeah, at, at that point, it just comes down to personal opinion. Okay. That's from 2002. Persona 5 came out a couple years ago. See, now that's an instance where I'd argue they chose that one because it's the latest and greatest. It's a good game, but I think there's arguments that it could be any number of Personas. Our favorite Battle Royale game, Fortnite's at 77. Okay. Fable 2. Deserved. I hate to say it, but deserved. Goldeneye. Would you put Goldeneye in your top 100? I would not. Uh, I, I think, I think, I think that deserves to be somewhere on influential because as far as a console game, um, it, it was very, I mean, it wasn't influential necessarily in terms of FPS, but it was, it was very influential on consoles. Sure. I mean, after that, you saw everything trying to do some battle royale yes. modes, but as a great game, no, even the people who come into the store and buy it all the time now are like, hey, it's not so much fun anymore. If that, if that's on this list and not Wolfenstein, I will, I will throw something. Well, Wolfenstein definitely shouldn't be and neither should that. Well, I would say Wolfenstein 3D makes the list before Goldeneye does. No, neither of them make the list because they're not fun to play. These are top 100 Wolf games. Wolfenstein, okay, we have a different disagreement. What should Doom be should be on here. That, not versus Wolfenstein? Yes, versus okay. Wolfenstein. Smash Brothers Ultimate, okay, they swapped out Melee, okay. Uh, Elder Scrolls Five, Skyrim, people love that game. Yeah, XCOM, UFO Defense. There's a lot of strategy games and, and stuff like that already making the list for the older PCs. Of no other genre, that's interesting to me. That's really interesting to me. Uh, Sweeping in two from, uh, what was that, 99? Okay. Battlefield 1942. Okay. That's a that's an important game. I'm not sure that makes the list, but I, I mean, I played that. That was important for like massive multiplayer battle at the time, but I don't, huh, that's an interesting one to me. Because that to me is be more influential than being a great game, at least to me. Uh, that makes the list. Uh, Dota 2. No, no, anything about the, those are MOBAs. I know nothing about those. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. 
So I guess if you're going to pick one Mario Kart game, I guess you would do that. Uh, I do actually. I've made that argument with people before. I, I've said it. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, to me, is just about the perfect Mario Kart. And just it, has, it, has, and yeah. it has rendered almost all prior was versions useless. of it useless. <laughs> I, I, I know people love Double Dash, and uh, I think people are getting over 64 to a point, but people love 64. But honestly, I, it would be hard for me to argue that 8 Deluxe is not the best one. Gotcha. It, it's just got everything you could possibly want in it. Okay. Sorry. I'm getting my counter wrong on the post. of Star Wars Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. I never played it. I do know that I remember there was a lot of PC lists, like best PC gaming lists in the late 90s that cited uh, Jedi Knight, the original. Dark Force 2 has one of the top five PC games ever at the time. And obviously, it's an important series. Uh, Spelunky from yes, 2012. It belongs on there. See, this is what I mean, Ian. So they got, now we got Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong is it's a fun game, but is this more, most influential or greatest? Because Donkey Kong Jr. to me is a better game than Donkey Kong. It just is. In terms of mechanics, in terms of what you can do, in terms of variety sure. of gameplay. So that's what I mean. This, this list is already kind of weird um, to me. It doesn't, it doesn't abide by its own rules. The Sims, sure. Why not? The, is the first one better than the later ones? I don't know. Rock Band's on here. Okay. Red Dead Redemption 2. People love it. Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. I know nothing about bizarre. the Bizarre. Is bizarre choice. Yeah, that's a weird one. That's kind of out of nowhere. Yoshi's Island. Five stars according to a certain Super Nintendo guidebook that deserves it. It's a great game. Uh, Silent Hill 2. There. Is that worth it? Yep, I would say so. As we, honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. As we go up this list, I went through it, and I just couldn't get as angry about the choices as I think right, let's everyone to, else Let's go did. to the top 10 get yeah, through this. because San Andreas is at 58. I'll, let me, I'll, I'll run through the top. Let's see. Let me hit 25 here. This Pac-Man is at 47. That, that's what I'm saying, though. Like the, Those bottom levels, that, that like bottom 50 of any of these lists is always going to be a messy thing. Here's an interesting placement, uh, and I don't necessarily disagree, but Earthbound at 44, I have a feeling, probably pissed off some people. Too high or too low for you? Too I, For me, no real opinion. For a lot of people, I'm certain that's going to be far too low. Yeah, but there's people that, that, that overly love that game. <laughs> I mean, versus... Is it influence versus the best, or is just people so, thought it was quirky? All right, Metal Gear Solid, 30. Uh, God of War, the new one, 29. The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt, 28. Um, people love that game. Bioshock, 27. Sid Meier's Civilization 4. You need a Civilization on here. You do, and I think 4 is a real solid pick if you're going to pick one. Um, I really like 6, I, but 4 was phenomenal. I played 4 forever. I, I, I passed over 5. I did 4 forever. Ocarina of Time. Time at 25. I think that's not... I think that's about right. Ocarina of Time is... I mean, as time, age age exposes some things, and I think it makes people more willing to drop some of these once um, long-held-up sure. icons of, you know, greatest games, because that's another one along with Final yeah. Fantasy VII that used to always be in the top top 10. Right. Let's pick it up. Minecraft. Minecraft. Halo Combat Evolved. Half-Life. Okay. That should be almost higher to me, but Metal okay. Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Last of Us. Doom. Doom Thank 19, you. okay. It should be, and I'm happy about well, that. Was it influential or, or good? I mean, that's good. good. That's the thing. People and, and people who go back and play Doom are always like, wow, it's still surprisingly good. Okay. It's a fun game. Chrono, Chrono Trigger, Trigger Portal, Portal, Dark Souls, Street Fighter 2, Super Mario Brothers. See, that's the thing, though. Street Fighter 2, there's... a, a Post Street Fighter games. See, that, you know, once again, that that to me is like that's that's a weird non-swap. That should yeah. be influential, and I feel like something like Super Turbo should be if you want higher, it, should or, be or higher. Championship should be higher even. Um, Halo Two, same with Super Mario Brothers. You know, if you're gonna put that on the list, like Super Mario Three would be higher if you're talking about actual it gameplay. Is. 
It oh, that's right. It's, yeah. not, it's at 6. Castlevania Symphony of the Night at 12. Grand Theft Auto 5 at 11. Super Mario 64 at 10. I don't... I, the first Red Dead Redemption at 9. nine. Okay. Having that end the second one? Half-Life 2. That's Tetris at 7. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at 5. Super Metroid at 4. Portal 2 at 3. Portal and Portal 2 on the list. Okay. That's like me putting Alien and Aliens in my top five movies. Uh, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past. Weird fucking list. And Super Mario World is the number one. What a bizarre list. Like, so, like, it's, honestly, it's fucking from, bizarre. from See, 40 to, like, 15, it, everything kind of comes back together in a way where I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, but and then it ends, it ends it just kind of, like, throwing the, the hot hits and seeing where they your, land. Your top ten has, like, seven Nintendo titles, which is weird. That's just weird to me. It's, it's like no more PC stuff anymore with Half-Life 2. It's a weird list. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not consistent. I was expecting to it's hate not this list at all. more than I do. No, I hate it more now. That I see the top and these games that should be the list. The, the, the order is all wacky as fuck uh, on this stuff. You think Link to the Past is the second best game of all time? No, I bet. I, I mean, I. I. But a list is never going to be perfect, and it's never going to appeal to everyone. It's and weird. Time is passing me by, and I'm getting no, older, no. and I just don't care. It's the, it, I have. T- I have. I have problems with the construction of the list and the fact that it doesn't seem like it abides by its own rules. I can't, it doesn't. I can't get that I'm not that I'm, upset I'm just about saying, ranking, but, but IGN is a huge video game website, and when you have your uh, three Super Nintendo games in the top four, that's not a consistent list. And that's not to say they don't belong in the top 20 or t- top 30 or, or top 40. It's just inconsistent and it's sloppy. Because um, then you jump, and then there's like no Super Nintendo until you like get the Toronto Trigger and then, and or, then, I mean, playing uh, as a devil's advocate who doesn't like the Super and, Nintendo here, maybe the Super Nintendo was just a really good system that had a lot of great games on I'm it. I'm shocked you have not pointed out, Ian, that there is, like, almost no... There's no Sega titles on this list at all. No, I know. I've noticed that. There's, like, nothing. nothing uh, if you want to count... Well, well Soul Calibur is Namco. But, I mean, like, there's no Genesis games. There's yeah. no Saturn games. The, 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 no. the construction of the list is, is problematic in that it... it Barely any arcade it games. It looks at... Basically, it looks at the past 10 years of modern games. And... and, and and, and over overweights them. It looks at the past ten years of modern games, and then it goes down the quick who's who of retro games. Yes, without having any real knowledge or breadth. Of, and there's barely any other, older PC games in the list, either. So anyway, all right. Well, it is what it is. We're disappointed. And then people pointed out before that it was so sloppy, just in the editorial, that when they swapped out games, they didn't swap out the text. So you like you would say like choice number seventy four, and then the game description was the old game that used to be in that spot. It was just like sort of sloppy editorial, but. Whatever, that's neither here nor there. All right, moving on. All right, Ian, uh, we talked about gaming disorder being put, uh, you know, being recognized uh, universally. And now there's uh, an update on the story here. So uh, the study finds insufficient evidence of gaming as a clinical disorder. Uh, And this is something Pat and I have talked about before. And the study essentially um, says what we always kind of uh, thought and talked about on here. Um, There's no compelling evidence to warrant classifying gaming as a clinical disorder in its own right. Uh, It goes on to essentially say that, you know, this is a symptom of a larger problem, not the problem itself. Um, According to research conducted by Oxford University in partnership with Cardiff University, there's nothing clinically wrong with obsessive gamers. Rather than being negatively impacted by gaming itself, it's suggested that young people who engage in dysfunctional gaming may be doing so in a bid to escape underlying frustrations and wider psychosocial functioning issues. Now, this is an uh, an article um, posted on Video Games Chronicle, written by... 
just want to give credit where I can. Uh, Tom Ivan, and that's ex- exactly what we've been saying. There are all there are larger problems that cause people to seek out something to escape that problem. Yeah. Um, whether and there are healthy ways of doing it and unhealthy ways of doing it, and a lot of times hobbies become it. I read for the majority of my youth to get away from other social issues I didn't want to deal with. Lots of people play games for doing it too. Sure. It's not the game that is literally the disorder. You know, there's no, no. I, don't, I don't think there's a reading disorder. Yet there are bookworms who do the exact same thing sure. that people who play games do, but they just they, they sit in a library and they read all day. Uh, suggested that young people who engage in dysfunctional gaming, I like that term dysfunctional gaming, uh, maybe doing so in a bid to escape underlying frustrations and wider so- psychosocial functioning issues. Uh, involved collecting and analyzing data from 1,000 adolescents. That's a good pool, a good sample size, and an equal number of caregivers in England, Scotland, and Wales. Uh, the adolescents completed questionnaires about their gaming behavior, while caregivers rated their child's emotional and social health. That sounds like it's a pretty, pretty good, um, uh, pr- pr- pretty good. Uh, Jesus Christ, I can't think of it. Uh, God, my mind's going blank. Structures are doing the study. Sure, methodology. God, yes. God, I used to, I did studies in college. Jeez. Um, they found most adolescents play at least one online game daily. Less than half of daily players reported symptoms of obsessive gaming. Less than half. And daily uh, players, a typo, spend an average of three hours gaming each day. Uh, Professor Andrew Prisbilski, Director of Research at the Oxford Internet Institute, said the World Health Organization and the American Psychiatric Association have called on researchers to investigate the clinical relevance of dysregulated video gaming among adolescents. I like that term too, dysregulated. As previous studies have failed to examine the wider context of what is going on in these young people's lives. So they're doing the work that we talked about. It's like, well, these kids might have something else going on. Either at school, maybe they're getting bullied, maybe they just have anxiety in general, and, yeah. and gaming fulfills something for them or takes them away from it. Or, you know... Or maybe they have another issue that the gaming might feed into. But like you said, in itself, the gaming itself is not is not uh, forming these issues with the, in these children and adolescents. It just isn't. It can't. So I mean, it's 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 good to read that. But now, hopefully, focus will. I, I always I always kind of cringe when focus is way too much on video games. And there's. Everyone wants to wring their hands over video games. No one wants to wring their hands over the issues that surround the reasons why video games get into the news, such as violence and obsessive gaming and things like that. So, I, I don't know. I would love to see it move on to you know a study that could be helpful as opposed to constantly trying to pin everything on the game itself. So this is the, the key takeaway. Our findings provided no evidence suggesting an unhealthy relationship with gaming accounts for substantial emotional, peer, and behavioral problems. Instead, variations in gaming experience are much more likely to be linked to whether adolescents' basic psychological needs for competence, aut- autonomy, and social belonging are being met, and if they are already experiencing wider functioning issues. In light of our findings, we do not believe sufficient evidence exists to warrant thinking about gaming as a clinical disorder and its own right. So if that child is playing games for 15, 20 hours a day, won't come to dinner, won't go out and, 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 you know, function, you know, with his friends socially. It's, it's not because of the game. It's because of issues before the game got there. Right. The game. Yeah. The, the, now here's what I'm going to say though. It doesn't help that the game's there because then it becomes like a cocoon of experience where now I'm safe. I won't try to get out of this safe, safe spot. Yes. But, but that's I, something for the, that's I, something for the adults to manage though. Yeah. And that can be, like yeah. I said, that can be said about any number of other things people sure. escape into. It's someone who sits in their room and obsessively plays their guitar all day or reads all day or plays games all day. None of these things are unhealthy on their own. As a matter of fact, in a lot of ways, these things are great. It's, it's how things become that, too healthy when it takes over your, your, your activities and 
you know, your daily life and correct. Yeah, that's that's what happens. Uh, let's say say there takes precedence over the. Uh, okay, that's fine. Um, neuroscientist Nastasia Griff Griffion, is that a letter? It's a weird letter. Recently warned of the dangers of stigmatizing people as being addicted to video games. If we do stigmatize people basically as being addicted to video games, we might take away those video games when they might be a coping mechanism for a deeper underlying problem like depression or anxiety, she said. All right, well, there, there you have it. I mean, it's what we basically said before, not that me and Ian are clinical psychologists, but to me it was always, well, I took psychology, but it was always common sense that, you know, the, the gaming itself, because there's, plus there's also a, a, a huge variety in the gaming experience as well. So it's like, well, if this, if this person is addicted to playing World of Warcraft, uh, that's different than someone else being addicted to a puzzle game or, you know, or whatever else. It might fulfill different functions to that person. You know, a feeling of community versus just having a quick five, ten minute game or me playing poker for 10, 20 minutes as an escape. You know, it's different. You can't lump it all together either way. So, all right, moving on. Ian, we have a Patreon poll topic. And how do you access our Patreon? Patreon.com slash CU podcast and marvel at all that we will offer you. Ian's got to do a writing. Did you do one this week, Ian? Uh-huh. Portland, you didn't? No. All right, you got no, I'm, And I'm writing, I'm letting myself slide on that one because uh, Portland was an, a mess, but I will have a good mess, but I will have a writing up uh, shortly this week. Okay. So, wow, this is a three-way split in the 30s. Oh. We're getting better at doing these topics. In third place, at 31%, what pinball arcade games would be in your dream arcade? They pump back up the list. Pump, pump, 32%, up. second place, what's the dream convention panel you want to see? And in first place, 37%, favorite board games ian take it away ian what are some holy of your shit i thought that we were gonna I, I thought for certain the panel one was a guaranteed a guaranteed pick you don't know the will of the patrons um so i i do like to play a lot of board games but the ones that i think that i always go back to that are uh, classics for me um i cannot get enough scrabble and i will play othello at any uh time of the day um what, what do you like about scrabble scrabble um so I grew up playing Scrabble. I remember it's like one of the first board games I remember learning how to play, which is funny because obviously it requires quite a bit more thought than a you know a, a kid is, is going to have. But I remember, I remember you know it, it's always been a big game on my uh, mom's side of the family, um, big extended family over there, and holiday get-togethers were always you know there was at least a couple Scrabble boards out and people would sure. be playing. Um, and being young, I of course took an interest in what what you know, my, my family was doing. So, uh, my mom would, you know, slowly from a very early age was telling me how to, you know, play the game and put words together. And, um, I like it because it's, it's not only, it's not only like a a game to stretch your brain and kind of work on vocabulary and stuff like that, but it's a strategy game. And so many, so few people who don't play a lot of Scrabble sure. don't realize that it's a fucking board control strategy yeah, game. You got it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's words, but it's a war out there on that board yep. too. It's all about setting up your position so you can make your attack for later. And you know sometimes making that two letter word that doesn't look like you know anything is what you need to do because you've you got another plan word in your head. You've got something that you're setting up. So it's 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 a spelling game. And at the base of it, people are like, oh, that's quaint. But it's also a vicious battle for board control. And I fucking love that about Scrabble. It's so good. Good Scrabble is so good. Um, anyway, yeah, sorry. Are, are, you, are you a Monopoly fan at all? No, I hate I, Monopoly. I used to be a Monopoly fan. And then it's funny because it was created to show the, the bad sides of capitalism and people tearing each other yeah. apart. And that's where the game ends up usually. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's just, it's just fun. We had the, we had the, we had the, we had the Cheerios giveaway uh, 50th anniversary version for like 85 
where they came back with the wooden pieces for the first time in the, in the middle because yeah. they didn't do that for a while. And we played a lot. We loved it. Um, I loved the game Ghost. It was a Milton Bradley game, I believe. I think it was Parker Brothers, where it was like a strategy game. They yep. glow in the dark pieces. You had like um, about twelve pieces each, and you had good pieces and bad pieces. So the object, and you can't see what pieces you have versus your opponent because the dots are on their side. There's yeah, it's it, like it was like Stratego, uh, green and green and red pieces. Um, so the idea was to capture the evil ghost, but not the bad ghost. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I mean the evil ghost, but not the good ghost. If you capture too many good ghosts, you lost. At the same time, your good ghosts could try to escape out the out the the sides the sides. So it was a gambit whether or not you think your, your opponent's bluffing. Maybe they're sending an evil ghost down that you want to capture. Or it's a good ghost. So you don't know what you're capturing. It's like a total crapshoot, but there is a little strategy involved. And I, I'd love to play it again today because as a kid with my sister, I probably didn't know the, in, the intricacies of the strategy that were involved. Yep. I, hear, uh, I, I had it too. I remember getting that game from a... Uh from a, a flea market when I was younger and I freaking loved it. That game was yeah. a lot of fun. I liked some of those blind like bluffing type games like that. Yeah. Like I always I I I've, I haven't played it like at all as It was an called adult. Ghost. It was Milton yeah. Bradley. I, yeah, I looked it up. Um it's a nice looking game too. Yeah, it's just a cute cool layout and it's you know not too complex. Now in terms of complexity, if you go you go Mousetrap. I still like Mousetrap. And um people don't understand that you were supposed to build Build it as you went. Right, you land yeah. it. You don't build it all, but people just like to build it. It's still they still they probably still make mouse. They do. Oh, they do. It's, it's brilliant. Oh, they'll never stop making that. And it didn't break. I, I never had a break either. It always worked. Like the pieces were sturdy at least back in the day. Even, you know the man, the, the man in the the old timey man taking the dive in the, in the tub, things like that. So if um, you liked ghosts, did you ever play Stratego? I I think I did, but I was too too young to understand it. I probably it's sure. sort of similar. It's just it, not capture certain it, pieces. It, it more it, it's it's more complicated than ghosts, but it's still all about like blind bluffing and stuff like that. Okay, it's about blind bluffing. Yeah, you. I never played Risk. That's be a game I should be playing. That sounds like a fun game. Or or, or Axis and Allies, which is kind of like that, more complex. Like, I love I should, Risk. Um, I think I, I have it from the swap meet. Whenever we go, uh, John and I play a lot of Risk. Used to play a lot of Risk, and we play it. All the way through. We're one of those groups that, like, when we settle in for a game of Risk, we're rolling to the very end. Um, You're rolling deep? Rolling deep. Like, yeah, there's there's no shortcuts or anything like that. The last time uh, I played a full five-player game, it was Vani, myself, John, uh, and two of my other friends, my friend Chris and my friend Alex, and it was a four-hour game. And Vani, ref- Vani came in second place, and she refused to succeed. Or she, re- she refused to um, surrender. Uh, they rolled every last die wow. until she was just she was wiped out. out of troops. She made John work for that victory. <laughs> All right. I, I respect that. War of attrition. Um, and then, of course, I mean, I got I, I love chess. Uh, Ian talks about times. I, I love chess, I, too. I, yes. I played chess in high school. I was an overachiever, a lazy overachiever at chess in high school. I think I told the story a couple times. I won't get into it now, but I did, I did better than I should have with no training. And I really think I should have committed myself to it and learned openings and strategies. I think I could have done something with it. And I still enjoy it. Do you I ever play. Um, play backgammon? I started. No, back- I never got into backgammon. I'm, I've been getting into backgammon lately again. It's, it, a, it's stupid fun. Yeah, good strategy. It's, it's with a that? lot of fun. A lot of yeah, good strategy. About. We had the board. You had the little shakers. Yeah. The little cool little dice shakers or that. Then we got into backgammon. All right. Any other ones? Well, it's time for a Q&A. But any, any other ones you want to mm-hmm. discuss that are true to your heart? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. We can move on. Monopoly, Mousetrap, uh, Dizzy Dinosaur was great. Oh, I Down had the block. That. Yeah, I had Dizzy Dinosaur. It was all about the toys. And See, here's the thing about board games now. Board games now are about like tabletop and being ultra-ly, uh, you know, or simulating something or you have to know all, all these rules. Back in the 80s, 
and, and early nineties. It was all just like toys and you know volcano mountain and and wiping your little your your little toys out and dizzy dinosaur things like that's how the board games were to draw you in. I'm sure they still make it, but not like how they used to. Sure, you know, those commercials are great. Now I want to do, do like a four hour block of like watching old board game commercials, like party pizza party. Hey everybody, there's a brand new game it's just pizza memory. party. That's the name. Sorry. Okay. Moving on. All right, Ian, which, which Q&A do you want to do there out of the two? I have to go. It's, it's 1032. I thought you had until 1040. Well, all right. Quickly then, what Q&A are we going to do? You want to do the Goose Game one? Yeah, we'll do the Goose Game. All right, game this is from that Unnecessary Fan. Untitled Goose Game is still at the number one spot in Nintendo Switch eShop as of this tweet. What makes it indie games like it so popular and successful? Um, I think... So there's a there's a number of reasons why the Goose game is doing well. It's fantastic. It's not like it's not my favorite game that's come out recently, but that's not a negative to it. I, but if you play indie games, you've played things that probably remind you of it. One that reminds me of it in a in a way um, that came out recently was uh, Donut County. Games like this tend to <laughs> Donut County. Games like this tend to, I think, uh, especially like the Goose game, they, 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 their popularity rests on three things that they've done very well. Um, a sense of humor, like a great sense of humor, mm-hmm. a welcoming art style, um, and the ability to kind of create mischief and be a jerk, but not a huge jerk. And uh, Not that, a huge enough jerk, but, but a jerk. But that's also, I think, why Donut County succeeded in a, in a, in a way, I'll, too. I'm looking at Donut County so right now. In, um, in Donut County, you play as, well, kind of a donut, but it's a story about a raccoon and a girl. And the raccoon's an asshole. And oh, I've keeps, heard this game. Okay. Keeps, I, I've played through it on okay. stream twice. I freaking love it. Um, and you play as, the, you know, it's the story about this, this raccoon and this girl, and it's the story about how the raccoon sends out these donuts and causes havoc throughout the town. And it's got a very nice, like, sense of, like, a laid-back sense of humor, uh, a pleasing art style. And um, I'm not saying that Goose Game copied it. I'm saying that these are just things that exist, oh. that, that, that really bring people together. Um so the Goose Game is the same thing. It's nice. It's approachable. And it's... I like how you said approachable. I think that's very It's important. very approachable. And while it's not an easy game, like so, figuring out some of the puzzles will take you some time, it's fun enough in that I'm creating havoc and being a jerk sort of way. While you're trying to figure out what you're doing, even if you're not checking the, the items off the list, you're still being a goose that's turning on a faucet and then running away. And stealing then, glasses And then something. stealing yeah. the keys from the janitor. Yeah. And, like, it's... Uh, it's 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 very it's fun and it it's it's genuinely funny. It's a genuinely funny I, game. It's a great idea to play an annoying goose. You tell someone that there's a game where you can be an annoying goose, they're gonna want to mess with it for even five minutes. I think people are clamoring for more variety than people we, yes. we give them credit for, and that goes with movies too. People are, I mean, that's why Scorsese was complaining about all the Marvel films, and their their point is is not lost on me, even though they might go over the top. Is that if you give people more variety, you'd be surprised at how how often they'll jump towards it yes. and try it out. And for for something like this uh, Donut County or uh, Untitled Goose Game, people are just like overwhelmed by the fact that, oh my God, this is different than anything else I've seen. Right. This isn't just like, Frank would say, um, a, a game where you walk around the corner and shoot someone in the face. There's millions of those games. They're not inviting, like you said. They're not original. This is something you haven't seen before. It's something inventive. It's something cute. And it's something that you won't forget. You'll forget playing about that first person shooter in two months. Or, or even a, whatever, an average indie platformer. You'll forget about this. This You won't forget about this anytime soon. In, in games like those two specifically, I love them because um, 
there not every game has to be an emotional roller coaster. Not okay. every game has to be violent. Not every game has to tell the story of the end of the world. Uh, but at <laughs> yes. the same on, on the other end, not every game has to be a Borderlands where it's all fucking yuck yucks and slapstick and you know yeah. dumb jokes. Like you can be make something that's genuinely charming and humorous without it beating you over the head. And the fact that it's not these aren't huge companies making these games, producing these games. There's also a little bit of an underdog to it. To it. Okay, let's hop out these yes. this little smaller company making this game you know and, and see where it goes and maybe they do more games that's part of it too but i honestly think that there's there's an audience that want to play more different variety of games and they just want and obviously they're out there but they're impossible to find on steam and and something as, as well polished as these games that as recognized by you know sony and by nintendo and they're pushed uh you know you see them like in nintendo direct like with the untitled goose game people are like oh my god what is this game i would never expect a game like this to exist right they're out there but they gotta be pushed more you know and hopefully we see more and more of this because you only hear about these games like maybe once or twice, even in a full year. You know, any games like this that get this popular, it's not often that this happens. Yeah, no, it's not, not at all. So, so that's it. I got to play the Untitled Use game. Should I get it on Switch or should I get it on Steam? What do you think? I would get it on Switch. It, it, it's a nice fit for. Um, I think on it's a go? nice fit for on the go because uh, you can pick it up. You know, knock a couple things off your checklist uh, by being a dumb goose, and then go, <laughs> go back. And I should to get. Your, go I, back I, to your I should get Killer Queen Black according to Ian. So yes, get that. you should. And Ian I, was clamoring for it. I was uh, I was supposed to play that this weekend with uh, Grace, Derek, and Ant, and we never got made time. So maybe I'll stream that later this week. Oh, advertise it for Ian. Okay. All right. That's it for the CU podcast. Uh, oh, did, did we mention the Patreon? Oh, Patreon.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, CU podcast. Um, and then uh, go to the, the, the Super Nintendo Guide is going to be at the warehouse. Oh, little moth. It's going to be at the warehouse. Ah, moth's going over my hand and arm. Uh, later this week, you can pre-order it at ultimatesnes.com and obviously also the NES uh, book. Um, yeah, and that's that's it. And I'm going to be at Syracuse for Retro Game Con. It's my last event of the year that I'm aware of. And that is November 2nd and 3rd. Um, and then, yeah, Ian has a video that should be coming out Working Eventually. on videos, yes. Ian figured out how hard it is to do video No, editing. I mean, I, I can do some basic video editing. The problem is, is for the, the Crossnick one, by the time I finish it, who knows if it should even go up. But, um, no, I need to capture two-player gameplay. That's the problem. And, like, and the versus issue. gameplay, there is no there is no AI. The versus gameplay is one-on-one. All so right. I just haven't had time to sit down and capture that. Sit down that with yet. Bonnie and do it. There you go. So. Or I'll do it with you. You know, I'll help you do your first video. We'll put it on the Patreon. We'll put it on the CU Podcast Patreon, too. Early. The, the pa- pa- Patreon? The Patreon? Or, or do you have your, your Patreon still? Actually, I don't have a Patreon. You, you have I, I have one for the for Extra Napkins. Check out Extra Napkins. Okay, my well. other podcast. But um, that's not... Yeah, that's simply for that. Okay, well, it's up to you where you want to post it. Okay, well, for Ian Ferguson, I am Pat Contry. Voice slowly coming back. We will see you in a, a week. <laughs>